Hey, good morning. Whoa. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Hey, uh, I know today uh, is a fun day for some of you, but for some of us, it's a complicated day, uh, especially for folks who may uh, not have had a mom or didn't have the best experience with their mom. Uh, I know for my wife, we lost her mom when she was a teenager. This is a tough day. So we just want to acknowledge that. And uh, we read this poem every year, and it really encapsulates our heart for moms. So here we go. These are available on your way out if you want to pick one up. To those of you who gave birth this year, we celebrate you. To those of you who lost a child, we mourn with you. To those of you who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make it harder than it is. To those who are parenting alone for one reason or another, you are not alone. God is with you, and so are we. We walk with you. To those of you who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced hurts or abuse at the hands of your own mothers, we acknowledge your very painful experience. To those who live through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. And to those of you who who will have emptier nests this upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. (laughs) To those who step-parent, we walk with you on this very complex path. To those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. To those who are planning to adopt and haven't met your little one or little ones yet, we wait with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you, and today we celebrate you. So, we've been in this series called The Struggle is Real. This is our sixth week, I believe. And uh, basically what we've been saying during this series is this. That you got to get real. you got to get real with yourself with God, and with others. you got to get real about your struggles if you want to get moving. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to continue on this theme, and we're going to talk about something that the Apostle Paul called the most excellent way. The most excellent way to do life, and the most excellent way to struggle. So, what we're going to talk about is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, some of you, even if you didn't grow up in church, you've heard these verses because they're read at a lot of weddings. Anyone ever heard them, right? But here's what's interesting about this. Right before these verses are read, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's talking about spiritual giftedness. He's talking about unity within the church and about how everybody needs each other, that that we need to be together and that really that all the gifts are important. And the utilization of those gifts are to build up the body and connect the body and all this. And then he transitions into, for some of us, what might seem kind of awkward. And he says, hey, 
But let's look at the most excellent way. It's not about your gifts. And then he transitions into what we call the love chapter. And so for many of us, we may be asking this question. What does love have to do with my struggle? To quote Tina Turner, what does love have to do with it, right? Better response than first service. You guys got it, right? Here's the thing. Love has everything to do with your struggle and with your life. Because when we truly understand love as God defines what love is, the love that sent Jesus to the cross, it gives us perspective. It changes our perspective on ourselves, on our surroundings, on those around us. Because when we can understand this love, receive this love, accept this love, and live out of this love, it transforms us into the people God created us to be. And as we walk in the Spirit, as we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit, how we walk and step with the Spirit, we are transformed by this love. We mature. And we're able to love others the way Christ loved us. Now let's talk about what love isn't. Because we throw around love pretty casually in our culture, right? I love puppies, right? Who doesn't? Okay? I love Texas Tech because I'm a Christian, right? Sorry for the rest of you, okay? There's romantic love, right? We love food. There's even like lust, which we sometimes use the word love for, but it's not love. It's sexual desire, right? And we, we would say all that's love in our culture. But all of these fall way, way, way short of the love that we're going to talk about today, the love that Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians 13. It's not a romantic love at all. It's none of these. The love that he talks about is agape love. Agape love. And and this is that unconditional love. It's deep, self-sacrificing, self-denying. It's about others, not about us. It's others-focused, others-serving, others-elevating. And it's a love that comes out of a connection, an abiding, remaining, walking relationship with Christ. This type of love is always outward-focused, not inward-focused. Even in the midst of our struggles, we're open. We invite others in. We invite God in. This is the love that defined Jesus' love for us. His choice to go to the cross. To deny himself all the rights, all the glory, all the props he deserved, right? As the son of God, living a perfect life. And yet he denied himself. He humbled himself and went to a cross because he loved you and me that much. Like, if we could truly experience that love, it would transform us, or should transform us. Because ultimately, love is a choice. Love is a choice. It's an action. It is not an emotion. It is not an emotion. It is not an emotion. Okay, I'm not on repeat. It's an action. It's a choice. It's both a choice in the moment but it's also a premeditated choice. And it is always, always, always our next step in life and in our struggle. And that's what I want to talk about today. And the question we're going to use kind of during this, this message is this. What does love require of me? What does love require of me in this relationship? In this, and it, it doesn't have to be husband and wife. It doesn't have to be 
family relationship. It could be a work relationship. What does love, agape love, not romantic love, it's not a feeling, right? What does love require of me in responding with compassion in this situation? What does love require of me as I lead a team or I'm led by someone at work? What does love require of me as a student or as a part of a team? This is kind of the diagnostic question that we're going to use today. And here's the thing. For many of us, we live in a tension with our struggles. Because this all sounds great. Yeah, I want to love you unconditionally. I want to deny myself and and love you. But it doesn't feel like that in the midst of the struggle. And during this series, we've tried to be deliberately uh, authentic. We're an authentic church, but even from the platform, we've said, hey, we're going to be deliberately authentic with you about our struggles. I know Clay has, and I have, and Doug Doug did before he went on sabbatical. Like, we want to be that way because we want you guys to know, hey, we're a mess too. Like, we struggle as well. The great thing about my life is there's just so much material to share with you guys. But I want to share with you basically the tension that, that, that occurred this week. Mindy, my wife and I, we had a fight this week. Nobody gasped. I was shot. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we both work at the church, and you probably just think, oh, they just go and sing praise music and pray together all the time. <laughs> No. We fight. We have stress. We have anxiety. We have worries. We have teenage sons. You know, I mean, all of this. Right? But we had a fight. And uh, the thing about when we fight is, in that moment, she said something. I didn't like what she said. And I responded pretty abruptly. Maybe even with a little anger. Okay? Probably, I raised my voice probably more than I should have. And we started fighting. And to my wife's credit, she's probably the more spiritually mature of us, for sure. She said, I'm just not going to say anything else because I, I might regret it. I was like, dang it! Because I wanted to win, right? And I, usually I just keep going at it, but I walked, took a deep breath and I walked away. Took some deep breaths and came back and mustered as much humility as I could and just said, this is my fault. I'm sorry. I should have responded that way. And we had a conversation and there was forgiveness offered and all that. But here's the thing I want you to know. That wasn't me. And that's not you. Because when we are in the midst of ourselves, when we are in the midst of our struggles, we did one of two things. When we're hurting, right? Or we perceive we are hurt, right? It's called the fight or flight response. In our natural self, right, we do one of two things in the midst of our struggles. Even in our lives, we either climb under the covers, we close in, I don't want anybody in, I'm going to shut you out. Or we try and run over each other. Now, early in our marriage, when Mindy and I fought, she was kind of the, the first version. Like, she would be like, I'm just going to get in the car and leave. Like, she didn't want to fight. And for me, I am the exact opposite. I'm like, I got to win. You know, I want to run over her. I want to be right. And she's like, I'm out. Both are wrong responses. Because when we truly experience God's love, we shouldn't be turned inward We should be turned outward. We should be turned outward. Thinking about the needs 
of the other person. And let me just say this. You can't muster it up. I mean, you can try. I know I have, but it doesn't work. Because this kind of love does not come naturally. It comes supernaturally. Through a connection with Christ. That's what will change your heart. That's what this question is about. I think Jesus knew this. Of course he did. But uh, John 15, he says this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Connect to, walk in. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. See, Jesus modeled this for us. Connecting to the Father. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's the standard. Jesus is the standard. Self-sacrificing, self-denying, others-focused, others-elevating, connected to Christ. It's got to be supernatural. And then he goes on to say, greater love has no one than this than lay down one's life for one's friends. Now that sounds very heroic. Like I would, I would, I would jump in front of a bullet for my family. But you know what's a lot harder? Laying down my agenda. Laying down my pride. Admitting I was wrong. And that's probably the struggle for a lot of us. We've got to remain in that love. Be transformed by that love. As we understand um, and experience it. It should change us. Paul says this, as he starts out in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries, all the knowledge, and I, if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am, say it with me, nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast... But do not have love, I gain nothing. Now the Greek word here is real interesting for nothing. It translates nothing. Okay? It's nothing. What's going on in your heart matters. What's going on in your heart matters. And that's what Paul is getting at because the Corinthians, man, one of the great things about the Corinthians is as we've studied through this series is that they almost make me feel better about myself. Because I'm like, these guys were a mess. They had all kinds of issues. Church division and, and stuff going on in uh, the city of Corinth. I mean, they were just a mess of folks. But the why matters. And all these gifts and all the boasting and all the ranking that the Corinthians were struggling with. He said, none of that matters if you don't have love. And as we think about this question, what does love require of me? Think about this as kind of a, a temperature gauge. Really, it's a measure of your level of connection of remaining in the love of Christ. This doesn't earn your salvation. You're secure in your salvation. But it is, or it can be, as you ask this question, be kind of a, a gauge of how you're doing. How you're walking. How you're really communing and connecting to the life of Christ. Are you in step with the Spirit like we talked about last week? 
Are you different than you were six months ago, a year ago, ten years ago? So as we read through these descriptors of love, ask yourself, how am I doing? What does love require of me? So let's pick up in in verse 4. You guys have heard these, right? Lots of weddings. Love is patient and love is kind. Let's just stop there. Paul leads out with two really positive ones. Patience is basically this. It means some translations, if you're reading along, your translation may say long-suffering. Well, that sounds like fun. I'll tell you, long-suffering, not to lose heart, slow to anger. That's what patience is. And I think about my own mom, how she was long-suffering, right? Before I was in second grade, I'd been to the principal's office and had spray-painted trash cans with some very colorful graffiti. And uh, I'm sure my mom thought he's going to be a juvenile delinquent before he's 12, you know? So, long-suffering. Enduring, not to lose heart. And then kindness. This, is, this has to do with the tenderness of your heart. It's even been translated forgiving. But, but, but really, the essence of this word, it's hard to translate from the Greek, but it means to take initiative. It's almost like you're moved in your gut to do something in mercy for justice. Maybe in righteous anger to, to make a wrong right. It's to take initiative. It's to respond to needs, not once. Listen, it's to respond to needs generously, whether that be spiritual, relational, financial. It's to move to action. And this is what God did with us, with me and you. He took initiative. He saw our great need, our great deficiency. And he went to the cross. Because it says... In John 3.16, God so loved. He took initiative. And that's what love is. And then Paul transitions into this thing, into kind of some negatives that the Corinthians, and I think some of us, struggle with. He says this, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, does not dishonor, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, keeps no records of wrongs. Now, here's the idea about envy. Here's the idea about envy. Basically, the the Corinthians were were boasting about, hey, I got a better gift than you, and so, you know, I should be up the pecking order there, the Corinthian church, whatever, or you should, I don't know, you owe me, whatever it is. But here's the thing about envy. It's basically being jealous of what somebody else has. It's being jealous, listen to this, it's being jealous of what God has given somebody else. Instead of realizing all that God has given to you. It's, again, it looks inward instead of outward. Because when we do this, when we turn inward, we're missing out on our God-given opportunity. We're missing out on a God-given role in our struggle and in life. It does not boast. It is not proud. This is kind of a negative uh, bragging, essentially. It's all about me. And you may say, well, I don't brag. Okay. What does love require of me? Do you, not this ever happens to me, but do you ever like get like, well, hey, my wife's prettier, or my house is bigger, or my kid 
is a better student. Or, yeah, and you should be proud of your kids, but it's about wanting to have a one-up on someone. How's your heart? It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It does not dishonor. This is a key one for us, right? Because a lot of times we confuse respect and honor. We're like, you got to earn my respect. You know what? You don't earn honor. Honor is given. Honor is given. Honor is given. It's seeing the value in the other person because they are valuable in the eyes of God. Honor your father and mother. God placed us in families. Honor is given. When we're easily angered, basically this means to be touchy or irritable or sensitive to slights, not getting what we think we're owed, whatever it is. Basically, this type of anger stifles us because we're always looking for a slight instead of looking for the way God may be working in us. And then to keep no record of wrongs. When we keep records of wrongs, it builds resentment. And it holds us back. Forgiveness frees us. And for some of us, today, what love requires of you is to forgive someone. For some of you, you need to forgive yourself. So that you can move forward. Basically, all these that he, he has here can be, can be summarized in three words. You owe me. Either you owe me or God owes me, but I'm owed something. And Paul's saying it's not about you. When we truly understand the cross, it transforms us. And then look what, look what he says in verse 6. This is really interesting. Look at the contrast he uses. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the good. No, it doesn't say good and evil. It says the truth. The truth. Real truth. We talked about this last week, that we we need to know truly who we are in Christ. We need to know truly about God's love, acceptance, about how significant we are in Him. Truth. Maybe that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And the life, because the life that is truly life is understanding the truth of who Jesus is, what he did for us, and who we are in him. Now look again at these verses, verses one through six. How are you doing? Are you kind are you more kind than you were six months ago? Are you more patient, less proud, less self-seeking? Because really, this is a good indicator of your connection, your union, your life of walking with Christ. Because when we truly understand his heart for us, it transforms our heart toward others. And all of these are really just an outgrowth and an overflow of connection to Christ. Verse 7, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. To protect means to shelter. To shelter doesn't mean to hide somebody's sin, but it means to protect someone from harm. It could be physical harm, but it also means protecting their integrity, their reputation, their purity. It's looking out for the best for someone else, to trust, to never lose faith, willing to see or hope for the best for someone else. And it doesn't mean we don't need to have boundaries in people who have hurt us, but it's hoping that God could transform them the way God has transformed me. Or is transforming me. And then hope. 
Man, I love hope. Because hope looks forward. Hope looks forward. Hope looks forward. It doesn't look backward. And for some of you today, you are shackled to your past. And you need to show compassion to yourself, forgiveness to yourself to move forward. And love perseveres. It endures. It strives. Even in the midst of struggles and hardships. It's trusting God's promises and presence when disappointed with jobs, with kids, with parents, with marriages. It's forgiving and giving and serving and loving. And then verse 8, love never fails. See, here's the thing about love. Here's the thing about love. It's permanent. It is a glimpse of the eternal. It's what we take with us. See, Paul says, look, look, prophecies will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. I don't care how smart you are, how much money you have. This is what you were created to be. And when we love, truly love others the way Jesus loved us, there's something inside of us eternal. We've talked about through this series, you need both practical solutions and spiritual solutions. And this is one of those spiritual solutions. When we truly connect and understand Jesus' great love for us and live out of that love, we get a glimpse of who we were created to be. We get a glimpse of eternity. Verse 9 says this, We do, uh, for we know in part and we prophesize in part, but when we, completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. He's talking about he was immature. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I was self-focused. But when I became a man, I put, away child, uh, put, away, put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known fully. You are fully known. Might as well get real with God, because he knows all about you. But what Paul is talking about here is, we're going to get a glimpse of the eternal, with still a broken world with broken people, and we're going to do it imperfectly. We may see, he's talking about the reflection, right? The reflection, we just see a reflection, just a glimpse of eternity. But we're still called to do it. Love is a choice. An action, not an emotion. And what Paul is saying here is basically this. This side of eternity, you're going to serve imperfectly, give imperfectly, teach imperfectly, parent imperfectly, receive parenting imperfectly, forgive imperfectly, serve imperfectly. He's saying do it anyway. Lack of perfection is not an excuse for lack of participation. I didn't feel like loving my wife when we were fighting, I didn't feel like apologizing because I was right. No, I wasn't. I didn't feel like it. It was a choice. It's an action. It is humbling yourself and putting your pride aside.
My boys get tired of me saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. When I, I tell them all the time, you know when we give and when we serve and when we're compassionate to someone and we're kind to someone and there's something inside of us, there's something inside of us that kind of, man, there's something that resonates, there's something that moves, there's a feeling there, something happens. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When we do that, they're like, yeah, 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 we, we know. That's what we were created to be because we were created in the image of a giving, loving God, right? God so loved the world that he gave. And when we love in that manner, we're connecting with our spiritual, who we're created to be in this life and in the next life. So what does love require of me? Even in imperfection, do it anyway. Even if your motives are not 100% pure, do it anyway. The emotions will follow, or maybe they won't. You're uncalled to love when you feel like it. You're called to love. So am I. And then Paul says this, verse 13, the greatest of these is love. Now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love is what remains. Love is what remains. Faith informs the action. Hope influences the action. But love is the action. And when faith and hope and love are in line, we can love completely because we understand how completely we are loved. Here's, here it is. Here's the summary of it. Love is a choice. It's an action, not an emotion. It is always my next step in life and in my struggle. It points others to God because that's what Jesus did. When he went to the cross, it wasn't for his glory, but it's pointing people to God's glory. And it's an overflow. This is the temperature gauge. It's an overflow of my connection to Christ. You can't do it naturally. It is a supernatural. This is a spiritual thing. Which is why we need others. It's why we need Scripture. It's why we need church. It's why we need families. Connect to the love of Christ. To experience the love of Christ. You can't muster it up. But you can choose it. Even when you don't feel like it. I talked about last week that it's the first fruit of the fruit of the spirits that's listed in Galatians chapter 5. And we talked about you got to nurture a fruit to grow a fruit. This is a big deal. In fact, when Jesus was asked, hey, what's the most important commandment? He said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. We say love God, love people here at Live Oak a simple slogan but it's not just a slogan we don't we didn't just pick it because it's catchy this is because this is what life is all about in this life and in the next life and that's why paul said it was the most excellent way to do life and to do our struggles because when we're transformed by that love when we understand that love we're more open to opening ourselves up to his love, to inviting people into our struggles, or maybe using our struggles to minister to somebody else. 
We were created to do life together. To experience it, to know it, to understand it. And to be transformed by it. As we know God's love. Let's stand. And I want to pray for us. Here's what I want to do. I want to ask you guys to just close your eyes and bow your heads. And answer the question in your head. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? What does love require of me? Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's forgiveness of yourself. Maybe you need to forgive somebody else. Maybe it's compassion or kindness to someone or to yourself. Perhaps it's generosity or humility or reconciliation. Maybe it's just being more patient with yourself or someone else. Would you just consider inviting God into that situation right now? Would you ask Him to speak to your heart and prompt you for your next step? Maybe it's crossing the line of faith this morning. Accepting Jesus as your forgiver and leader. Maybe it's just saying you're sorry. I don't know what it is for you, but every one of us has a next step. Heavenly Father, I don't know where this message landed, but I know that love is hard. It is not natural, but it is supernatural. It comes out of a connection, an overflow of your great love for us. Wherever we are this morning, I pray, God, that you would help us to understand your love more deeply, to receive it, to accept it, and to live out of it. We thank you for Jesus who showed us this great love. And we pray all this in his name. And everybody said? Amen. You guys are dismissed. Thank you for being here. Happy Mother's Day. I would love to visit with you uh, down front if you have questions or would like to talk. There's a bit of life if you got pain.